0: Um, as we uh, conclude our series today, uh, we've been in a series called Like and Subscribe, uh, but um, we are launching in a new series next week um, called You've Got a Friend in Me, and and I think honestly for most of us, uh, it, it feels like that the older we get, the harder that friendship becomes and, and the fewer friends that we actually have. And, and so when we're young, it seems to come a lot easier and more naturally to us uh, but life gets a little bit more complicated in your twenties and thirties and forties and beyond, and so um, we certainly all have kind of a group of people that we're friendly with, uh, but very few of us actually have really deep friendships. Um, but honestly, it wasn't supposed to be that way, and it might not seem that spiritual to you. And why would we talk about that at church? Uh, but the truth is, is that you were created for relationship and connection, and so next week. Um, we're going to, we've set aside the whole month of February to talk about friendship and, uh, and why God created us for that and the importance of it and how we can actually begin to move into healthier relationships uh, with each other. So I I hope you'll come. I hope you'll bring somebody with you um, and uh, we're going to have a great time uh, because It's going to be an amazing month of not only talking about relationships, but we got all kinds of fun stuff planned for families and, of course, Super Bowl Sunday's in there and all kinds of of good stuff. So um, this month, we've been in this series talking about like and subscribe, and it's really been a month-long conversation about taking ownership of every part of our life. Because that, that really is something, no matter how disciplined, no matter what your life is like, no matter who you are, like we all struggle in certain areas or maybe in certain times and certain seasons of our life with really taking ownership of a specific area of our life. And we get it when it comes to, you know, something like taking care of our bodies, no, knowing that our choices make, you know, that, that the choices that we make every day, they directly affect our future health and what we're gonna, you know, what life is gonna be like for us but in other parts of our lives it just doesn't feel so cut and dry because there are the choices you know that other people have made that have impacted us there are the things that 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 have been done to us and then life itself is kind of unpredictable i, I don't know if you've ever you know thought that life was going to break one way but then it ended up breaking the exact opposite way so a, a couple of weeks ago i was sure That this was the year. This was the year that the good guys, the cowboys from Dallas, were going to go all the way to the Super Bowl. But for some reason, you know what, keep your marks to yourself. If you are not pro, like this is just for me, all right? For some reason, God allowed these evildoers from San Francisco to sort of luck their way in. And now all of my hopes are pinned on these stupid goats from L.A. that... Who knows what's going to happen? So I'm, on, I'm full on on the Bengals band, band, bandwagon. Anybody want to join me on the Bengals bandwagon? Yes. Go Bengals. But, but the truth is, is that life regularly does not go according to plan. right? Like So often we end up in a place in our lives that we did not expect to be in. And, and it's possible for us to, to find ourselves living a life that we did not expect, but we will never live a life that we did not choose. That, that no matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your life, that ultimately it's your decisions and your choices and how you responded to the things that were done to you and the things that life sort of threw your way that has added up to and amounted to where you are. Even in our faith, so much sort of seems out of our control that we're just at the mercy of God. And it's so it's easy for us to take on this passive sort of relationship with God. After all, God is the one that's kind of holding all the cards. He's the one that's creating the future. But part of our motivation for this series is trying to get us to see that you may be in a place where you've been waiting on God but it's possible that God is actually waiting on you. Because there are times when we're waiting on God to step in, to to begin to intervene, to take control, but it may be that He's actually waiting for us to step up. And it's Not him needing us to prove our worthiness or our religious piety or that we're finally gonna be serious about our faith. It's just simply us stepping into that place where we take ownership of who we're becoming and the direction that our life is taking. It's us taking ownership of our growth and our faith. We often imagine ourselves at different times to be waiting on God, but what we see over and over and over again as we look into the scriptures is that often that God is always ready when we are, for us to move forward. And so we've been making our way through a conversation about what that means and what it looks like and why commitment even matters about the, the kinds of habits and practices and disciplines that enable us to begin to move in the direction to become all that God has created us to be. And, and so a few weeks ago, we talked about this idea of the, the, our interior life and inward disciplines. And then last week, uh, we covered Um, our outward disciplines, some things that we can do on the outside. Um, We actually created a a couple of little cards. So there's one that says outward disciplines on it. And then some of you were asking about one that's inward disciplines. And so if you're just interested in any of kind of an overview of the things that we talked about the last couple of weeks, um, we have both of those. They're available at the Connect counter in the back. You can grab those if you want to take them with you. Um, But today we're going to talk about this idea of the corporate discipline, stuff that we do collectively when we gather. And so I want to take you to a place in the scriptures that will really frame today's conversation. It's found in the book of Acts, and it's in Acts chapter two, beginning with verse 42. it says this. It says, "All of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer." And a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And they sold their property and possessions and they shared money with those in need and they worshiped together at the temple each day and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared meals with great joy and sincerity and generosity and all the people all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So there, there's so many layers to this conversation, so many different ways we could go to this and so many different things that we could take out. But I, I want to focus in on a couple of things. Number one, it, it says that the, the apostle performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And I don't even know what all of that means. I mean, you can actually read the book of Acts and see all the different things that had happened. Uh, but, but that's usually what we want, right? If you're a person of faith, that, that's usually where we kind of gravitate towards. I mean, it depends on your, your sort of background, but we might feel a little bit nervous, but, but w- that's the stuff we want, is God to intervene, to step in, for there to be the, these incredible miracles and this stuff that cannot be explained, right? That, that's what we want, that's what we kind of desire, that's what we think about when we think about God is that that's when we pray for God, would you somehow fix this person or do this thing or do this miracle or heal that person? It is that we really just, God, would you just show up? Would you come through for you to do something that cannot be explained any other way than just calling it miraculous? But I think it's interesting that even in this part of this passage, like the wording feels a little strange because it doesn't say that God performed all these miracles and signs and wonders. It says that the apostles performed them. And it's so easy for us to think, well, the people in the Bible, they were, they were a different breed, they had different material, they, they were made of something different, or they had some sort of different relationship with God, but Jesus, Jesus' half-brother, James, when you read the book of James, he's like talking about one of the most famous prophets in the Old Testament who did all these incredible miracles, his name was Elijah. And when he starts out talking about Elijah, he says, but Elijah was a man just like you and I. See, so we're, we're so tempted to think when we read this stuff that there's all this special stuff happening. And so we read that and we're just like, I don't, I don't even know what to do with that. And my immediate thing is like, well, isn't it only God who does that stuff? Isn't it only God who does the miraculous, who, who does all these signs and wonders? But what I want you to notice is the order in which Luke, who's writing this story, in which he tells us the story. Because that's not where he begins. He says that he begins with That all of the believers, that they devoted themselves to these practices, to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship and to sharing meals, to communion and to prayer. And and then he says, and and from that flowed this incredible faith, this awe that sort of swept over this perspective of who God is and what life is about. This idea that anything can happen sort of flowed out of that. See, the truth is, is like we, we don't actually like to have this conversation, but, but based on this story is that, that devotion actually precedes all the dramatic spiritual stuff that we really want to happen, not the other way around. See, so often we're tempted to say, God, if you would just show up, if you would do this thing, if you would come through for me this way, if you would do that for that person, if you would, show, if you would just show them that you're, then we would really be convinced and we would really go all in. We would really move our life in your direction if you just did this thing, if you just came through for me in this way, then I would know that it was you and everybody else could see it and, and it'd prove to all the people around me and all to the world and to my family that you are real. But so often God's going like, that may be what you want, but what you, what you need is to know and experience my love. What you need is to be rooted in an environment where you can actually begin to change and your life can change and you can grow. What you need are rhythms and practices built into your life and to build your life and your faith around. And it's out of that experience that you'll begin to experience me in ways that you cannot explain. I don't know if you noticed in the story that we read the impact of all of this, right? Because at the end result of everything that happens that Luke tells us that they were enjoying the goodwill of all the people. People come into faith all the time and that happened because of who they were and what they were doing together. See, we always want God to do something spectacular to convince people he's real. But in the end, it's always our lives and our faith and the way that we live. It's who we are and what we do together and who we become together and what we do in the world. It's our love for one another that becomes the proof of God for our friends. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 13, verse 35. He said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another another. It's not the miraculous stuff that you want. It's not the miraculous stuff that you read about. It's not the way that, you know, it's not your piety or religion. It's the way that your faith is demonstrated through love when you get together. It's the way that you act and behave towards other people. The truth is that certain things don't make as much sense or have the same impact when you do them as, like if you do them solo as they do when you're in a group, right? If you were a child of the 80s like me, skating rinks were a pretty big deal. And um, if you think you can't smell pictures, you're wrong, because I can smell that picture right there. One, one of my favorite and earliest memories with my wife, Hanzi. we've been married 27 years, and... Um, One of my earliest memories uh, of us is in junior high together, skating together at a skating rink. I can take you to the exact spot in seventh grade in 1988, King Skate on the corner of Bradshaw Road and Folsom Boulevard in Sacramento, California. The smell of musty carpet mixed with sweaty skates and a hint of stale nacho cheese coming from the snack bar. It was all in the air. The DJ was bumping every little step by Bobby Brown. Anybody know that song? Yep, it's going to be stuck in your head now. And her and I were skating together, and it was magical. And I knew, and I popped the question in seventh grade. No, just kidding. But skating was a big deal. But here's the deal. Nobody, even back then, nobody ever went alone. Like, that'd be super weird. You always went as a group, you always met your friends there. Like, even if you couldn't really skate, you went there to be with other kids, to be with other people. Nobody was ever like, you know, like, hey, Billy, where are you going? I'm going to the skating rink. Oh, cool. That's really awesome. Who are you going with? Nobody. I just prefer to skate alone, man, in the dark, in a room with no windows, all by myself. I'm not gonna hang out with anybody. I'm not gonna talk to anybody. I just do it for the love of skating. No, that'd be really creepy and weird. Like, you're just like, okay, somebody watch. Somebody watch that kid. Right? Even the experience itself. Like, I don't know the last time, like, you actually went to a skating rink, but, like, when I was a kid, like, they always did stuff like the couple skate or the people that were really good who could skate backwards. Or then there was the speed skate, there was a speed skating round. And then, of course, you had to play the limbo, right? And then they really mixed it up. Everybody skated the opposite direction. But during those moments, 90% of the people were on the outside of the rink, just sitting there watching the few special people who were really gifted, right? everybody lived for the all skate for the moment that the dj was like all right it's an all skate people tripping over each other to get out there and go right because there are certain things that don't make as much sense or have the same impact when you do them on your own in fact there are things that you were never meant to do alone and faith is one of them and it's not just about enjoyment the, the truth is that when it comes to our faith, when it comes to your relationship with God, there are certain aspects of our growth that you cannot, you, we can't access alone, right? Even the best athletes in the world, they can only achieve so much on their own. Eventually, they need other people to train with. They need somebody to train them. They need somebody to push them, to challenge them, to spot them when they're working out or to support them. Somebody who can look from the outside and have a different perspective who can see what they can see. And the same is true for us when it comes to our spiritual growth, when it comes to our faith, that we can only actually get so far on our own. A lot of times we we think of our spirituality as being this very personal and individual experience. But most of the examples in the scriptures of people developing spiritually are, are things that they actually did with other people in a group. Now, faith certainly is completely personal But it was never, ever intended to be private. In fact, there are certain aspects that can only be accessed. There's certain realities. There's certain things that you and I need that can only be accessed, that we only have access to in community. Which is actually what we see play out when we read the story in Acts chapter 2. It's why... The personal disciplines that we've talked about the last couple of weeks, the inward ones and the stuff that's sort of building into our soul and our life and our heart and mind. And, and the outward ones, the ones that are where we slow down and actually begin to train ourselves spiritually through what we do with our body. That's why that's important. But, but the, the corporate disciplines, what we do collectively and together, they are also necessary and essential. See, the, the, the inward and outward things that that we've been talking about are things that I do for me and things that I do for you. But the corporate disciplines, the things we're gonna talk about today are things that we do together, the things I do with you. They're things that we all participate in. They're the all skates. And we actually see all of those things in the story that we read. People praying, people studying, people eating together, people worshiping people receiving communion, like all all of this stuff sort of mixing together. See, part of the way that God speaks to you is through the people that he puts around you. It it might be hard for us to admit, but the truth is is that we all have moments in our life we all need guidance at some level. Like we, we all need the collective wisdom of a community of people. And if you're a person of faith, not just any community, but a community of people that's really committed to following jesus in fact there will regularly be times where you will not be able to fully understand how best to move forward in a given moment or in a given season without other people because we need each other we need the perspectives and the experiences and the wisdom that comes with other people it's not other people telling you what to do nobody needs that right it's It's that you have other people who can help you discern what Jesus would actually do. In Galatians chapter six, verse verse two, the apostle Paul writes, he says, carry each other's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And and I love this because he's not just talking about giving advice, he's saying, you don't have to figure life out all on your own. Like, Like, let's figure out what would be best Going forward, how best you could honor God and then I will be there to help you walk it out. That's what carrying someone's burdens looks like, right? It's a willingness to take responsibility for part of your load and for carrying it with you. In our culture, we tend to think of reading the scriptures as something that you do alone as part of your private practice of spiritual growth and disciplines and reality. But the scriptures weren't, written to individuals. They were written to groups of people. It was intended to be read and discussed and prayed over and interpreted and applied in a group setting. Until four or 500 years ago, nobody even had a Bible. There was one copy of the scriptures. And so for most of human history, The reading of the scriptures and the wrestling with what God is saying and trying to apply it to your life was something that always took place in a group setting. And the authors, as God began to move and to use men and women to write, like they understood that it would take all of us working together to understand what it meant to actually live out the life that God was calling us into. That's why church was never meant to be a place, but a thing. It's not somewhere you go. It's something that you become. It's something that you are. It's not a building or a gathering location. It's a movement of people. Because we all need guidance. But guidance isn't the only practice that flows out of us coming together. There's also celebration. There's this idea of us coming together and recognizing and enjoying the good part of life. Like like I I think of it as a collective practice of gratitude. That that there's this moment that when we come together that we can celebrate what's good about God and what's good about life. And, And so a church service is everyone recognizing and enjoying what is good all at the same time. I actually use the word celebration all the time to describe our church gathering. It's the word that I use more than any other word because that's what it should feel like when we gather. In the churches I grew up in, sacred always, always, always meant serious. Sacred always, always, always meant that you don't laugh and you don't smile. That Church is serious business and what God really wants for you to do is to sit down and shut up and straighten up and listen up. But that's actually not what you see when you read the scriptures. You see parties and you see celebration. You see people laughing and eating together. You see energy and noise and vibe, right? Of all the things Jesus was accused of, he was never ever accused of being grumpy or too serious or even being too holy. He was, a groove, he was accused of partying too much, right? In Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, Jesus actually says, speaking of himself, that the son of man came eating and drinking and they accused me. They said, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. So Jesus, the son of God, people looked at him and they're like, you know what? You're enjoying life too much. You party too much. You eat too much. You drink too much, Jesus. There's no way you could be God. You're enjoying it too much. In Philippians chapter four, verses four and five, it says, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him and make it as clear as you can to everyone you meet that you're on their side working with them and not against them. See, I'm convinced, like my heart, I want when people walk into our church, that I want for them to go, I don't know if I believe all this stuff, but I can feel that these people are for me, that they are on my side, that they're not against me, that they're not sizing me up, that they're not judging me, that me wearing a certain thing or looking a certain way or having a certain... Part of my life be a certain way that they're not going to push me out. These people are on my side. This idea of celebration, it's why we regularly, I mean regularly, if you've been around at all for any length of time here, we have food and fun stuff going on all of the time. That's why we play our music kind of loud and have people complain on a regular basis. That's why we invite you to dance and clap and sing. That's why we want you to laugh and talk and connect because this is a celebration. It doesn't mean that we're never serious, of course not. It doesn't mean that we're irreverent. It doesn't mean that we don't mourn. It doesn't mean we don't take God seriously. It just means that we've been found, we've been forgiven, we've been set free We have this beautiful life. We have the greatest story ever told. See, it's not a party for party's sake, although that's fine. It's not a generic celebration. It's not something that's empty. It's not something that's put on. It's not hype. It's us connecting to the good that we're experiencing and the good that you're experiencing. And us then connecting that back to God and giving him credit. It's the recognition that life is good even when it doesn't feel good. And even when life isn't good, God still is. And part of the reason that we need each other is that sometimes we can't see the good and sometimes we don't give it the credit for being as good as it really is. And sometimes we don't actually acknowledge that God is the source of all that good. I love in James, he says that everything that's good about your life is a gift from God. Every good and perfect gift was given to you from your heavenly Father. So when we gather, we do it for each other when we can't do it for ourselves, when I can't see it because I'm in the middle of it, and we can come together and begin to see the good and celebrate what God has done. which is also why we worship when we gather, because worship orients us around that goodness, around the power of God. Obviously, that can look like a lot of different things. When we gather, we think of it as a segment of our service where we sing songs, which it can be, that's for sure. There's no doubt about it. But as you heard Charlie say a second ago, it's also when we give, right? It's also when we respond to God, right? But even the shared experience when we're together is very diverse, right? It sometimes looks like singing and Sometimes it's praying and listening or reflecting. Sometimes it's lifting our hands or it's kneeling down. When we do step into that moment where the band is leading us and we're worshiping God through song and music, right? The, the, the words are there to kind of paint a picture for us, to remind us of who God is and who we are. But, but worship is our whole lives. It, it's, it's giving and serving and praying. It's loving and living. In John chapter four, verse 24, Jesus says, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And part of what he's talking, part of what he's saying is like, it's your intellect and your emotions. It's your mind and your heart connecting with who God is and the deeper reality of what he wants to do in your life. But the truth is, when we gather and we're worshiping, like, it doesn't just connect us to God, it connects us to each other. I love God to sing in the car when I'm by myself. Any car singers in the house? You just turn it up, crank it up, sing it. You ever get caught like out of light singing and your eyes are closed and then you look up and people are gone and everybody's kind of looking at you like what's this person doing? <clears throat> I love it. It's awesome. I have reached that age though. Like my wife was teasing me yesterday. Like if I'm in the car with my kids, um, I, I can't do music and talking all right? If we're going to listen to music, we're going to listen to music, and we're going to sing along. If we're not going to do that and you're going to talk, I'm going to turn the music off because I can't do both. But when I'm in the car, I crank it up. I sing. It's awesome. You're by yourself. You throw in that song that you love, and you sing it at the top of your lungs, and it's great. I love it. On the other hand, I am not a concert guy at all. I, I don't, I'm not a big concert person. Can't can't stand it. I've been to a handful of them. Mostly it's too loud, it's too, maybe I'm just too old. It's too crowded, there's too much stuff. And all I can think about every time I've gone to a concert is like, it sounds better in the recording. Boo, <laughs> like, just put on the CD, it sounds better. Like, that's, that's what I think every time. But even for somebody like me, who's not into concerts, there is something undeniably powerful when you're in that experience. Some years ago, we went to see one of my favorite bands is called Switchfoot, and we went to see Switchfoot as this open-air venue, and there's a ton of people, and um, their album, The Beautiful Letdown, is one of my favorite albums of all time, and, uh, and they have a song called Dare You to Move, and they've made a bunch of great music ever since then, but it's one of my favorite songs, and, and when they started playing Dare You to Move, like, the whole place just, I mean, it was feeling it and singing it, and it was just like, a day. And I had been sitting down like texting somebody and I was like, all right, you got to wait. I'm just going to stand up and just be like, (gasps) just feel the energy of all, like thousands of people who are just feeling these and just seeing, it was such an incredible, incredibly powerful moment, right? Because there's something undeniably powerful when people are together, right? And in fact, I just was kind of hoping we could recreate that moment. You guys hit it. We're just going to, no, I'm just kidding. But here's the thing, like when we worship and when we sing together in church, it's supposed to be both, right? It's supposed to be where you can be alone in a crowded room, just you and God, singing for an audience of one. It's just you and him. But also, it's supposed to be all of us together kind of riding the wave of the music, connecting to the truth of the words, and allowing the thought That we're singing about to sort of settle the truth of who God is. To settle down on all of us all at the same time. It's spirit and truth. Heart and mind. Personal and corporate. And so there's guidance and celebration and worship. And and then there's one final one that I want to touch on. And it's actually something that's mentioned a couple of different times in the Acts chapter 2 story. It's the idea... Of fellowship, that word fellowship comes up twice in the few verses that we read, um, and I have to admit to you, just on a personal level, I. I hate this word. I have a lot of baggage around the word fellowship, and that is a weird thing to say out loud. But I do, and it's partly because it's such a churchy word, and so it reminds me, like you've never gone to your employer, your place of employment, and be like, hey, man. You want to get together for some fellowship? Right? Like Nobody ever uses that word anywhere but church. And so because of that, it reminds me of all this stuff about church that was messed up for me growing up. All the stuff that I don't like or don't want to be associated with. It also kind of bothers me because how it gets used. Because most of the time when Christians use the word fellowship, they really just mean hang out. Like, you guys want to get together for some fellowship? You mean like hang out, eat wings, and watch football? Yeah. Okay, why didn't you just say that? Okay, so that's my little like personal sort of disclosure, throwing up all my baggage around this word. (laughs) Setting all of that aside for a second. This is something really powerful and really beautiful that we see over and over and over again to describe the movement of Jesus in the New Testament. Fellowship is connection with, but also commitment to a group of Jesus followers. Now, it's easy to see why we often reduce it to just using it as this word that means to connect socially or to hang out. Because that's part of it. There's no doubt about it, but it's only one part of it. So I I love movies. I love epic movies. Like I love the big, sweeping stories that are three hours long. You know, like I love epics. And, And one of my favorite movie franchises is Lord of the Rings. And so when when the New Testament uses the word fellowship, it always means something so much closer to our understanding of that kind of fellowship in the fellowship of the ring, right, than just hanging out. When the New Testament uses the word fellowship, it's much closer to what we see the word mean in the fellowship of the ring than us getting together and having pizza and beer and watching some baseball, right? That fellowship wasn't something they did, it was something they were. That they didn't get together to fellowship, they were a fellowship that there was something bigger than themselves worthy of giving their lives to and worthy of giving their lives for that was holding them together. It, it was them committed to one another for one another for the sake of the bigger cause that, they, that had brought them all together. It was a shared life. It was I trust you and you trust me. It was honest and real and authentic, and not only will we work together to help each other, but we have each other's backs no matter what, that you can count on me, that we will share, that you don't have to worry about me, that I will be there when you need, need me, that we're all in this thing together. We all give equally. We all risk equally, that your risk is my risk, that your loss is my loss, that your win is my win, that we're all participating. And because of that, while it is something that they offered in the early church, that they offered freely and easily, it was never something that they offered or took very lightly or just casually. It was offering someone your hand, but never doing that without also offering them your heart. And so New Testament fellowship was support and love, but it was also confession and accountability. It was encouragement and cheering you on, but it was also counsel and caution. It's described like this in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. I love, this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, because life will come at you hard, right? I, the, the picture is that of like playing chicken with your faith. With hope, and we're gonna hold and we're not gonna blink and we're not gonna swerve. So he says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. It's gotta be something you hold on to, not just something you talk about. Why? For he who is promised is faithful. And then he gets into this stuff, and he says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together. This is one of the most famous verses that pastors use all the time to beat people up and tell them why they should go to church. Not giving up meeting together because he is talking about gathering together for church as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching and the day that he's talking about is that there's coming a day when Jesus is going to step back into human history and come for his people. He's going as... You start feeling like and seeing that day approaching, like, man, really lean in. But he he uses this phrase that's really interesting. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. If you've been around church, you've probably heard that verse a whole bunch of times. Have you ever stopped to think about what he's talking about? He's like, we should sit around and think about ways to poke and prod each other towards a better life. Towards love, towards being more loving, and doing more good. I don't know if you've seen the way that spurs work. Nobody's like, ooh, that felt good. Right? He's like, do it again. No, 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 no. It's like, what you want to fight. Like, I, you know, the animal wants to fight you but he uses this word and he's going, look, sometimes the human condition is such that we need people who love us enough who will go, hey, eh, you could be more loving. You can grow. You can do more. There's more in you. You're settling. Get up and go. Let's do it. Right. Now our fear is with this is in trusting people is cuz we've all had those people that they they did not have our best intentions. They did not have our best in, in mind when they were doing that. Right? We've all been around people who were religious who they just they enjoyed. They didn't care if love or good came out of it. They just enjoyed poking people. They just enjoyed going, "Eh, you're wearing the wrong thing. Eh, you're dressing the wrong way. Eh, you're saying the wrong things." Eh, eh, eh. Right? They wield those spurs. Like they got they got really into the part where he says, let us consider, let us sit around and think of ways to do this. And they were really into that part. But we can't escape that this is a part of the reality of being in the relationships, of being a part of the family of God, of being a part of a faith community, that there's something about fellowship, about us in being in relationship with one another, that that we're challenging each other to our best life and our best selves. Not the best we can do, but the best God can do living in us. And that, that's why things like the disciplines matter. That's why things like our habits matter and our practices matter. And whether or not we gather together and celebrate and worship and, and get together and study the scriptures and talk about life and share life. That's why all of that matters. So there's guidance and celebration and worship and fellowship. And it's so much bigger than just going to church. It's these practices that move us toward all that God has for us. And so maybe the thing that I just want to leave you with and the the main encouragement that I want to give you is that whatever it looks like, that you build into the regular rhythm and routine of your life times where you are real with a close circle of people who are on the same Spiritual journey as you. And you can do a little bit of that on Sunday mornings for sure. But it's why we're launching small groups because it's really hard to build the kind of stuff that the scriptures talk about and that I just talk to you about in an hour staring at the back of somebody's head on a Sunday morning. Are small groups magic? no does this stuff automatically happen just because you showed up to somebody's house and had some taquitos no of course not but you stand a lot better chance of it happening than just going to church occasionally you got to work at it you got to practice there was the rhythm in acts 2 i don't know if you picked it up but luke talks about it twice that there were large gatherings, that they went to the temple to worship God, to celebrate, and then they would go house to house to eat, and connect, and receive communion, and pray together and study the scriptures. Large gatherings, small groups. Large gatherings, small groups. We didn't invent that. That's just in the it's as old as the church. That's why we do what we that's why we're doing what we're doing. And what was the result of all of this? Well, in the story that we read, they all lived with a deep sense of awe for life and for God. They experienced incredible joy. There was a sincerity and authenticity to their lives that other people didn't have. All of which was in spite of the incredible challenges and hardships and persecution that they all experienced. It says that they had goodwill or favor with all the people around them and that people were regularly coming to faith. That. That's what gets me out of bed every day to do what I do because that's what I want us to be. That's what I want God to do here in this valley is to build that right there. So you gotta have a rhythm. People who are following Jesus and you stepping into that environment and building those relationships so that you can begin to practice this stuff. And ultimately, that's what will unlock and move you down the path of you and I becoming who God created us to be. Um, one of the things that's in your seat, and then we're gonna pray and I'm gonna get you out of here. There's a couple of cards. See, all of the things that we're talking about, about finding environments that provide this to us, that we can actually be a part of creating an environment that provides it to others. And so, um, I don't know, you gotta have one or two people that you go, man, I think they could actually use some of what we're talking about. And so, take these. Pray over them. God, two people. Who are the two people? Who are the two people that are going to find you through South Hills that I'm going to invite? Let's begin to stop, like, to move into a rhythm where we just stop going to church and we start moving towards a life that's built around who God is and what he wants to do in our life.